0: Happy Thanksgiving.
1: Hi, me too. Happy Thanksgiving to you too. Or happy day before Thanksgiving, I guess.
0: Yeah, you know, here in Virginia, it's not not all that happy we had another just crazy shooting take place, I think at a Walmart that, that crowded for Thanksgiving and a bunch of people got killed. So it's all very bleak here in Virginia. It should be bleak everywhere, given the number of shootings.
1: Yes, that's a depressing, depressing way to start our podcast. But it does seem that there's a lot of depressing stuff in the world these days. It
0: is. Well, maybe we can talk about a, a fun bond. Uh, it, it, it is not It is not in the context of something fun for the country in question, Ghana, but it is a bond that has puzzled me. And I'd love to hear how you're going to solve the puzzle of this bond that when I was having breakfast a couple of weeks ago with some students and an investor in the sovereign debt markets, He called it uh, the FUD bond, the F-U-D bond. It's a term that I hadn't heard, but now I've seen used a couple of times in pieces in the Financial Times. And FUD apparently stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And I was a little puzzled by his use of this term for the Ghana 2030 bond, uh, because on its face, I thought surely investors like this bond. It is; It has a partial guarantee. I think about 40% of face value is guaranteed by the World Bank. And so even though Ghana is in deep crisis, probably about to default, uh, this bond, holders of this bond should be should be sitting pretty. They're gonna get uh, 40% more than anybody else. At least that's what I thought. But upon looking at the document a little more closely, I, I have begun to share our investor friends' concerns about what the hell is gonna happen in this bond. And let me just lay out a couple of things that puzzled me right off the bat. And that then a third thing that maybe we can talk about a little later. First, the, the bond has this big fat guarantee for 40% of the principal amount. But if there is an event of default that allows for acceleration, Only the payments from Ghana get accelerated. The guarantee portion doesn't get accelerated. So I'm not even sure how this works. So does that mean that I can't accelerate? Or does that mean that if I accelerate, I get paid 60% of the payments due, like on my interest? And then uh, I have to wait for the rest until the scheduled payment. Uh, and then I go to the World Bank or maybe by then Donna is recovered and it it can pay. Uh, and then there, I, I'm not sure if, if it is accelerated, whether the World Bank is still on the hook because, you know, you've modified the guarantee in some ways, but maybe that's not the case. So I'm very puzzled by acceleration. And then The next question is, what's going to happen when there's a restructuring? Because this bond, this 2030 bond, even though on its face, it should be a fabulously safe instrument, has the same collective action clause, aggregated collective action clause, as all the other Ghanaian Euro bonds and Ghana has a, a lot of them. They, they were like having a bond issuance party over the last decade. I, I think this bond is like under 10% of its overall uh, Euro bond debt stock. It has the same aggregated collective action clause as the others, which I've, surely I'm misunderstanding this, but as I read the provisions, this bond can be forced into the same restructuring as the others and would be given the same treatment as the others. It almost has has to be given the same treatment as the others if you use uh, the single vote mechanism. And that would mean that the guarantee disappears. Either that or the World Bank guarantees all of the restructured debt, which surely is not going to happen. Okay, so even articulating my confusions uh, has confused me. Uh, And this, you know, I want to ask you about co-financing and lending into arrears, uh, but let's leave that. If you could just explain the structure of this, because surely there's a logical answer uh, as to how it's actually beautifully designed rather than this complete uh, quicksand that i seem to perceive
1: i don't so i think your your confusion i'm just going to echo and rather than adding any kind of clarity i don't think the acceleration question is quite as puzzling or at least it didn't you're the one who brought this to my attention and my my reaction when you did was that I didn't think it was surprising that the issuer could be accelerated, but the guarantor could not that, that I guess made sense to me. I, I wouldn't think any guarantor would want to be at risk of acceleration if only because it would make the payment stream so unpredictable and, and, potentially chaotic I don't really know how it would work if Ghana got accelerated and the investor was able to recover something from Ghana in in the process you know you'd have some kind of accounting problem where you'd have to figure out how to account for that payment or that recovery in light of the schedule of guarantee payments and you know there are some provisions in the guarantee about that that I Frankly, didn't even try to figure out. But anyway, it didn't. It didn't strike me as weird that an investor could accelerate Ghana, but would have to wait until the kind of scheduled payment dates to to go against the guarantor.
0: What, but the- what, Mark, uh, would we at least expect some clarity as to how this would all happen, or is this maybe this is normal?
1: That what's the lack of clarity because. You know, you you have a claim. If, if you accelerate, you've got a claim for full principal immediately due and payable against the issuer. And then you have this kind of secondary claim where on the originally scheduled coupon dates, you get, you know, some basically prorated type uh, payment that's due from the the guarantor.
0: So if, if I accelerate and all of my payments are due today, and then I can I I mean Ghana is not going to pay gonna me pay, anything correct
1: and so, <laughs> so then... the accounting issue will go away when you don't get when you don't get paid at all <laughs> and then you get a coup you get the World Bank's part of a coupon payment when the coupon comes due on its originally scheduled date and then you get to wait for the next one and you get paid another portion
0: okay so I just wait I for forty percent of it is just like a regular bond
1: yeah and it stays that way.
0: Right, and it's not really like a regular bond because it says forty percent of principal and scheduled interest payments, but the maximum payment that is due from the World Bank, as I understand it, is just four hundred million on a billion dollar bond. So actually, they're they're essentially just guaranteeing the principal, not the interest. Uh,
1: not not the principal, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, anyway, I don't it I don't think it's confusing that you can't accelerate the guarantee that's I can't imagine any guarantor would want to let its own obligations be accelerated, capable of acceleration. but let's let's move. I think we can come back to this, let's say, because neither of us is super confident about the way the uh, guarantee works in the event of an acceleration, but I think we wanted to talk a bunch about the second point that you raised, which was, and maybe I'm going to be over simplistic in how I think about this, me too, so let me just reframe what I think the problem is and then ask you whether I'm right about that, but also ask you whether maybe it's not such a problem after all. So let me just go with my way of explaining the problem. The uniformly applicable provision in the bond, which is part of the kind of standard, state-of-the-art, fancy new collective action clause, says that if we're going to have a vote across all of the debt stock, this so-called single limb process, we can do that, but everyone's got to Get uniformly applicable treatment, meaning everyone's got to be offered the same security in exchange or given the same terms by way of a modification. And I think we've seen over the past few years, right? We've seen like a bunch of ways in which this works in ways that are maybe not ideal, maybe even that weren't anticipated. And this is kind of another one because the way it works, I think, is that you either have to offer everyone a security with the guarantee, which you can't do because the World Bank's not going to agree to that. Or no one a security with a guarantee. So you've got to strip the guarantee out of the 2030 bond. Um so that that's basically your choice. And that seems like a really weird outcome since the guarantee was supposed to make you safer and it's it's like it's gonna wind up being meaningless but then, then maybe the solution me too is like oh you just do the dual limb process right you can what's like why can't we just offer the same i don't know like why can't we carve this bond out of the restructuring uh, either by leaving it untouched or by doing it separately, proposing similar financial terms, um, but not bundling it with the others for a vote.
0: So if you don't bundle it with the others, then essentially, I mean, you've given the holders of this bond a big stick with which they can just block any restructuring attempt. Uh, now, I am utterly confused on how you could make the dual limb mechanism work for this bond with completely different terms for this bond. I don't, I mean, I think that the other creditors are not want not want, going to want to give this bond very favorable terms. They're going to you know, because if they pay this bond more, that's less money for them. And this is this is a big chunk of change. It's a billion dollars. So they're going to be like, oh, they just, they they should restructure just like everybody else. And you know, you have to remember also, it's not like Ghana seems to have gotten a really low interest rate when they issued this bond. I was looking at the interest rate and the bond rating. This bond looks like it actually might have gotten a higher coupon payment than everybody else. Now, maybe circumstances were completely different at that time. And so, you know, an economist would yell at us for not uh, taking that into account. But this bond is getting paid a really hefty coupon, despite the guarantee. And my guess is the other creditors are, want to go, are going to want to restructure it, whereas the holders of this bond are saying, no, 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 we're special. You have to keep us out. Uh, but I I don't see how this is going to work effectively, even though in Theory, you could keep this out of the restructuring and try to do a restructuring of it uh, separately. That would completely undermine the whole point of the aggregated collective action clause. Do you see uh, how this could be done? So, when those Ukrainian guaranteed bonds were done with the two limb, with the dual limb uh, mechanism some months ago, and maybe we can talk about those Ukrainian guaranteed bonds uh, too later, they they were given the same identical treatment as everybody else. They were shoved into the same restructuring. But I, I don't think you can, well, you could do it to these these bondholders, but they would be completely screwed and very unhappy. And uh, But yeah, I guess that's why they should have fear, uncertainty, and doubt if you held this bond.
1: I'm struggling to understand, it seems to me that the incentives here are more complicated than they would be in the usual case, so, and I am thinking this through right now as I speak for the first time, which is never a good idea, and if I were one of my students I would tell them no one wants to hear you muse through your own confusion but here goes so the world bank i have to imagine does not really want to see its guarantee get stripped out it it would i am i am speculating that folks at the bank would rather pay out on this guarantee to preserve the supposed value that this kind of um you know this kind of uh co-financing arrangement as you've called it uh, offers. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but so you can imagine the bank sort of not excited about the prospect of the guarantee getting stripped out. And you know that that just sort of creates some weird some weird dynamics, right? The the holders of this bond, I suppose, could agree to make some concessions on the payments that are due from the issuer in exchange for preserving the guarantee. Because I think the guarantee payments are more or less fixed, right? Like, couldn't you, maybe you'd have to modify the guarantee, but you could keep the 40% guaranteed while shaving off some of Ghana's payments, no? I, I, I'm, I'm just trying to think of a way you could you could sweeten this so that the other investors don't care about this anymore because the holders of the 2030s are contributing to Ghana's debt relief without sacrificing the value of the guarantee.
0: So I I have heard uh, that something similar might have been done with the Bradys, the collateralized portions of the Brady's because remember with the Brady bonds, the principal amounts were collateralized, but not the coupon amounts. Uh, they were collateralized with the U.S treasuries. And I have heard, and again, I, this is I, I speak with uncertainty that with some of them, they did some funky thing where they uh, separated out the collateralized portion, and then had that segregated into one instrument and then the uncollateralized provisions were restructured. So maybe you can do that here, but it it seems like it would be a difficult transaction to engineer ex post without having the contractual mechanisms to do that in the bond, in the first place, does that sound, I mean, in theory, you could do it. In theory, you could have like the 40% guaranteed debt instrument and the 60% unguaranteed that just gets shoved into everything else. That's the nice theoretical solution, but in this world, it's all about which one has the mechanisms in place to do this. If you haven't put the mechanisms in place to do this, at the start now you're not going to be able to easily do that and
1: well because that, you're not going to get the the participation of the holders of this bond but on the other hand here isn't there a realistic alternative to have the guarantee stripped out entirely
0: meaning the the meaning we're gonna look we're gonna fully
1: out. yeah like you can we can do some creative engineering here to give you a uh, kind of we split this into two obligations. One that's going to get restructured with everyone else and one that's going to sort of ride through on the guarantee. Um, or, you know, the realistic alternative is we're going to fold you into a single limb vote. And the only plausible outcome of that is that nobody winds up with a guarantee, including you.
0: Yeah, it's going to be hard to do. And yeah. uh, we, we've watched enough restructurings to know if you have an instrument that's really hard to deal with and you have a country in crisis where the crisis needs to be resolved soon, then your instrument sails through because it's just too complicated to deal with. And I think you are right uh, that the World Bank is not gonna be happy about any of this because they they like i mean this would you know kill their future ability to do these kinds of guarantees or at least you know some of them are going to be afraid of that on the other hand I, I don't know looking at this instrument i think maybe you shouldn't have been doing this in the first place because you didn't bother to do it it design this properly and you didn't really get that much of a benefit so what the like this is really using Using our taxpayer money to do a really shitty deal and uh, maybe from the taxpayer perspective, maybe the guarantee should be stripped out. Uh, but I think we are agreed that like this, this could very easily, if you have enough creditor other creditors' votes, end up with this bond having the guarantee completely stripped out of it.
1: I think that that's right. I mean, that's certainly one realistic outcome here. I mean, and it does, it just raises, again, the question of whether these aggregated CACs are introducing more uncertainty Uh than people were anticipating. I mean that these were the these were the solution to all of our problems, right? Uh, that was <laughs> only only it hasn't really turned out that way.
0: Can can we uh, make this even worse? The fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Uh,
1: sure, I, okay. I especially since the stakes are relatively low, since nobody listens to what we say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this we're just indulging our own confusions so here is something that we mulled over uh, many months ago when we thought it was purely a theoretical matter and i don't think it's theoretical anymore the, like this bond is so much worse than either one of us had imagined so the the problem is that if you have bonds that have different risk structures. And an example of that is you have a bond that has a big fat guarantee, but the at the other end of the spectrum, if we put the typical standard euro bond in the middle, at the other end of the spectrum, you have say local law bonds. Uh, so the guaranteed bond is highly protected, investors think. Uh, the euro bond is in the middle and the the one with very little protection might be the local law bond. Now, all of them, let us imagine, have aggregated collective action clauses. That means that all of them get put into the same deal, and if you put the local law bonds into the same deal, that completely, in a case like Ghana, swamps the votes of the euro bonds. And that means that your guaranteed bond is going to now not just get the same treatment as the pristine euro bonds, but it might end up getting the same treatment as the crappy local law bonds. It, is that even possible? As I read the do- documents, that's totally possible.
1: So I th- I think it's possible. You know, we've seen and heard from some of our our friends who work in the these markets that you know there are bonds especially those that are uh, that use the trust indenture structure that put some limits on the ability to aggregate and in particular i think maybe in the new york market uh, bonds issued under a trust indenture uh, I have seen some uh, some examples of this and have been told that the aggregation is limited to bonds issued under that indenture and so that puts a sort of kind of a formal outer boundary on the range of of bonds that can be aggregated into a vote but I, I don't I don't think at least I haven't seen any similar kind of limitation uh built into these bonds and so yeah i think you know we've talked about this it would be entirely plausible that you could even if you didn't have local law bonds with similar aggregated collective action clauses in them you could create some you could Either by way of exchange with your existing local law debt stock, or you could just plan for this and issue issue local law debt with aggregated CACs and then you can lump them all together. And yeah, the the local law people who are presumably a bit more pliable, a bit more subject to you know, suasion by the by the issuer, they're gonna be easier votes and and I think they would swamp the the holders of the the euro bonds.
0: I, I, that is That has got to be true. Although I, I think in Ghana, some of the local instruments, just like we saw with Sri Lanka, the local instrument holders are trying to make arguments that they should be uh, treated with some kind of priority and not restructured, and only the foreign ones should be restructured. But this always but you, happens. But you can
1: do that too, right? Because you get to the issuer gets to define the pool that's being aggregated. So you can have your cake and eat it too, right? You can favor some people. You got to have the votes for it. But you know, if there are if there are a couple of privileged series that you want to carve out, nothing would prevent you from doing that.
0: Yeah, this this is just a is just a complete mess. But you are also exactly right that it's sort of it is not sort of, it's very puzzling that the New York bonds, at least the one or two that I've seen the indentures for, and you know, this is still, I'm just so irritated that we can't get the indentures for these damn documents but i i did see the indonesian uh, trust indenture document and that one seems pretty clear that you can only aggregate bond series issued under that trust document so the indonesia has a bunch of other stuff like running around like sukuks and you know probably some guaranteed things and syndicated loans I, I don't really know they definitely have sukuks and regular bonds and you could not aggregate the sukuks with the regular bonds and you know if you think that the sukuks have a different risk structure i would think that investors would be uh, pleased with that on the other hand with all of the stuff issued in the european market or the english law market they don't seem to have that kind of constraint so definitely ukraine did not have that because they shoved in those uh two uh, guaranteed bonds state guaranteed bonds into the same uh, restructuring even though they had a they should have had a different risk profile
1: and well, so this is we should maybe emphasize this separately because now it isn't just that the issuer is packaging together local and foreign law debt, but now we're lumping in, I mean, so fine, these are state-owned enterprises, but like unrelated corporate debt is being lumped into the file <laughs> <laughs>
0: too. Just, look, I mean, maybe we should have seen this a long time ago, but it seems like every time we have a restructuring, we realize that there's like additional giant, uh, I I shouldn't say loopholes, It's, it's more giant landmines that are just blowing up on you. Every time you put one step forward and nobody seems to be interested in fixing these or seems to have really thought these through. It, it seems like in 2014, these things were so popular that, that they just got shoved in in every instrument, and we didn't think through them adequately.
1: I think before we move on, we should pause just to tip our cap once more to the Ukraine restructuring, which, depending on how you look at it, it, it I think you can look at it in one of two ways. One everybody agreed on the financial terms everybody was playing nice and so the lawyers who managed the restructuring for ukraine just did everything uh, in the most efficient way imaginable without any um uh strategic intent for by looking towards the future the other is like they took advantage and i don't mean that in a in a negative way they capitalized on the fact that investors really weren't in a position to push back to do all kinds of shit that sends a like a super interesting sets a super interesting precedent for the future. There's the the claiming of this unilateral power to redesignate. There's what they managed to do with the the GDP warrants, and then now there's the lumping the guaranteed debt all together under the collective action clause with the sovereign's own debt. I mean these are a lot of if you view them as informal precedents for what can happen, what is permissible and kind of uh, not objectionable. There was a lot of pretty wild stuff that happened.
0: Totally, and nobody nobody really uh, yelled bloody murder and in part because you know, what was being done seemed so mild and everybody was getting their arms twisted by the official sector. And so, you know, you get a two year extension of maturities for the guarantees. You're like, okay, fine, fine. But uh, next time they're all, I don't think, I think they're all gonna get screwed. And of course there's the GDP warrant thing which is a whole different story. Somebody put a lot of pressure on those guys. Uh, It had to been, but... um, but maybe we should, uh, can we come back to the last part of this, the FUD, FUD bond? Uh, yes, please. Okay. So the last but not least, I am completely befuddled by what will happen if the guarantee actually has to be paid. This damn guarantee seems to be set up in a way that if it gets paid, it really messes up the whole restructuring. So here's how I understand it. And maybe you can tell me um, how it's not as not as fuddy as it it seems to me. This is a World Bank guarantee. And in the document, it makes it very clear this is part of the uh, de facto priority debt. And in fact, if I go back to the theory of why supposedly these co-financings are uh, a way of uh, doing financial alchemy, uh, it is because of the theory that no issuer will want to default on official sector obligations. And therefore, if you tightly intertwine the official sector obligation with the sovereign obligation in a way that it's very, very hard to separate, the sovereign will never default on either part of it. So, I mean, there is a theoretical story about how you want to make this as impossible to unravel because that gives the investors protection because they know you don't want to default on the official sector. And here, let's imagine that now Ghana is in deep distress. It has to default and it defaults and the World Bank has to start paying the guarantee. If the World Bank pays even $1 on this, there is immediately, as I read the documents, immediately an obligation owed to the World Bank. And that obligation immediately has priority. And so you can't do the restructuring if you're in arrears to the official sector. So how the fuck is this supposed to work? I... I, I Okay, I admit, I'm completely speechless. Did anybody not, did, it, did they not think about this? Or was the plan all along that this was essentially a 100% guaranteed bond issued at a 10.75% interest rate? So it really <laughs> seems like the suckiest bond possible from everybody but the perspective of, some really fat hedge fund managers sitting in Connecticut, who's like, thank you very much. I'm going to build a new extension on my mansion with this bond.
1: Well, that's what, I mean, they, that's what they may have thought that they were getting. Although again, to go back to where we started, you know, if the guarantee gets stripped out of the bond, then the that extension is going to have to be funded through some other ill-gotten gain. <laughs> um, no, I, 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 that's how I understand it to work, right? Like if the guarantee gets triggered, then I mean, this isn't a, like a, a gift by the bank. Then there's a, a debt that springs up and that has like super priority, right? At least that's the way it's been traditionally treated. Um,
0: and they have to treat it that way because they can't say... Oh, I mean, you know, the World Bank and the IMF, they love their priority status so much. They're
1: not going to, yeah. They
0: they can't. uh, So, I mean, it it seems like this is structured so that there's two extreme outcomes and there's uncertainty as to which outcome you'll get. Either it's stripped out completely or it's paid in full completely.
1: Yeah, that seems about right.
0: (laughs) Okay. So if we were to vote, we have talked... On our podcast, over the, the years that we have done done this podcast, is this possibly the worst designed bond we have seen?
1: No, definitely <laughs> not. I'm go- I'm still going with Lebanon.
0: I mean, we have so many competitors. There's the Lebanon bonds. There's the Sri Lankan airline bond there's the pakistani uh, the votes cast bond i mean it's like these designers are competing for an award
1: i yeah i mean you know you can sort of see it's really hard to know exactly how all these pieces are going to interact in uh you know when when push comes to shove i can see the logic behind thinking I'd rather have a guarantee than no guarantee. Surely it's got to be worth something. And you know, as you've said, it might wind up being worth quite a lot here. It's uh, the uncertainty might be the thing that, um, if history is a guide, that just makes this too complicated to really bother trying to include in the restructuring. Um, whether they can get the other the holders or the other eurobonds to go along with that. Who knows, right? That's, I think that's the the key question here. Because I suspect everybody from folks in the finance ministry to folks at the World Bank to the holders of these bonds would be perfectly happy to have the 2030 left out of the restructuring.
0: Yeah, it'd be interesting to, I, I briefly looked at the pricing and it seemed like this was sort of getting a 40 40 cents premium off over the price of the regular euro bonds just eyeballing it so the market seems to be seems to be pricing this in between solution but I, i'm not sure we we should uh, get with uh, our dear friend ugo and see how the market's anticipation of what's going to happen has evolved as people have paid more attention to the completely fuddy terms of this particular bond, but um, shall we leave it at that?
1: That works for me.
0: Wonderful. Thanks, Mark, for indulging my uh, confusion.